All right, guys, we've got a great one for you today. I've got Craig Monger, one of our reporters at 1819 News. He's coming in. We're going to talk about some really not controversial at all subjects like, oh, I don't know, say abortion, prisons, education. Well, uh, it gets a little heated, and uh, as usual, we hit things head on, so you don't want to miss out. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this here podcast. 1819 News, the podcast, we're pursuing a free and flourishing Alabama each and every week. That's our goal. That's what we're seeking to do. Um, And today, in our pursuit of a free and flourishing Alabama, I have Craig Monger uh, in studio. He's one of our best reporters at 1819 News. He's coming in uh, to kind of do a news roundup of all things that are going on in Alabama. We're going to be talking about education, uh, prisons, and abortion. Three hot topics. Could it get more controversial? Well, Guess we'll see by the end of the podcast, and so let's welcome in now Craig Monger. Craig, thanks so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here, Brian. Tremendous. I know you're just ecstatic. Oh yes, super. Did you have any run-ins with law enforcement on your way here? Uh, no, I definitely None. didn't get pulled over by state trooper for yeah. going faster than I ought. There you go. So I thought I would bring that out and embarrass it, you. It was just one. I just got a warning though. It's one of those super. Uh, uncomfortable warnings where yeah. it, it, it talks about just somewhere a child will die tonight. And I'm just like, hey, bro, yeah. I was just late. It's just, <laughs> it's like that child could be you. And it's just like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Please forgive. It's very uncomfortable when they give you those warnings and yeah. you just, you're like, you feel like this, this is emotional manipulation. Like, I don't this approve. This is worse than a ticket. Yeah, it's so much worse <laughs> than a ticket. Just let me pay the ticket so I don't have to deal with a sermon. Oh, man. All right. Well, um, definitely three hot topics we're going to go in today. Uh, but uh, before we jump into that, uh, we want to tell you guys, um, if you're not subscribed to the 1819 newsletter, you guys are definitely missing out. Um, you need to be there. All the, I mean, that's one of, it's kind of our premier delivery system is that newsletter. Social media is not our friend. Uh, therefore, we do a newsletter and we've even pushed the newsletter as early as 530 in the morning. It comes out now every morning at 530 got all the news you need to know. It's got all the opinions that matter and all the podcasts we produce. So um, you can go onto the website and uh, click subscribe, put in your email address. It's not going to ask you uh, or we're not going to sell your information. You don't have to give any money. The newsletter itself is free, Uh, but I will be hinting at we're going to be moving to a crowdsourcing model uh, here soon. Hopefully next Monday is when we're hoping to launch which will allow you guys to support the work that we're doing, kind of a Patreon level or, or supporting the work we're doing. Um, because at the end of the day, the, the the most pure source of funding for a news outlet is the people of Alabama supporting the news outlet that is for the people of Alabama. And so we're really excited to be moving in that direction. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, and so without further ado, let's jump into the hot topics, uh, if you will. So um, you've got a, a few different interesting beats. And if you guys don't know what a beat is, if you're watching this, so um, reporters get assigned to a certain beat. There'd be like an education beat or a crime beat or, you know, and that's the thing that they're kind of, you know, through their experience of reporting on that consistently, they develop a certain expertise. They start to create relationships in that place. Um, <clears throat> we don't necessarily have an education beat. I think you do some, Erica does some, and he kind of bounces around. There's certain aspects of education where you've kind of become the beat writer for 
Uh, and I laugh and joke that you've been put on the tranny beat. Um, so anything that uh, smells like transgender or LGBTQPYSTR plus uh, stuff, uh, it always gets assigned to Craig um, because he's done the most kind of research on the background of that stuff. He's most um, just familiar with it. We talked about last time you were on the podcast, uh, Alfred Kinsey, and I think it's John Money was the guy's name. Uh, and going into that history, so he's very knowledgeable about the roots and the origins and also kind of the, the outworkings and the, the the sneaky ways that they're trying to sneak the stuff into our schools. Um, he wrote a great article where he kind of <clears throat> busted a group that is working to get some of that stuff into our schools. Um, Eric Mackey was on the board, Scott Harris. So Eric Mackey, what is his official title? Oh, he is the state superintendent for the Board of Education. State superintendent of Board of Education, the head of the Alabama Department of Public Health. Scott Harris, Blue Cross Blue Shield backed it. And so it's this group that looks super duper legitimate and it's extremely wicked and perverted. Um, and after the work that Craig did exposing that, uh, Eric Mackey pretended like he never knew that he was on the board and removed himself. And so whether he knew or he didn't, he's not on it anymore. I think Blue Cross Blue Shield has now backed out their support of the group, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama. Um, and so you're starting to see, um, you know, by exposing some of these things, um, you know, I was going to say it sends the, the, the cockroaches fleeing to, to, the, to the nether regions, but I don't know if that's the best way of describing it, but, but, you know, if no one's reporting on this stuff, no one's exposing this stuff, it's going to continue to make inroads and everybody thinks in Alabama that they're safe from this stuff. We're not, no one is safe from it. We have to be vigilant and you guys can thank Craig for being the vig the vigilant Alabamian here at 1890 news, who is uh, keeping an eye on this stuff is unfun that's not a word but we make up words as unfun as that probably is and probably as uh psychologically torturous it is on your brain having to deal with that stuff and see it um you are doing um doing great work for the state of alabama by by looking into this so let's let's jump into education and and i guess begin there with kind of the, some of the the sexual education stuff um and 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 start off yeah, well, well, the the psychologically torturous aspect of it didn't have to do really with the. It more had to do with the reaction of the the, the petulant gutter snipe of, of Alabama Twitter. Uh, yeah. That that was really where it came in. I, I'm so thankful to everyone for telling me uh, what the article wasn't about. Um, it was very useful. Thank you. <laughs> uh, whenever it's like, well, you didn't talk about this. It's like, yeah, I know. There's a lot I didn't talk about. I didn't talk yeah. about how to make a good, you know, cream frige. Like, there's a lot I didn't talk about. Uh, what they what the article was about was that there is a nonprofit that is dedicated and whose entire purpose is to push a certain type of sexual education in uh, Alabama schools. And that was, that is their purpose that can, that continues to be their purpose. Although they have, they're down one or two or three or four, I think board members at this point in a couple partnerships. Uh, so that was the point of it. Uh, I, do not know if any of the materials that they provide uh, are being used in Alabama schools. I, I think it was fortuitous uh, that in the in the weeks after this story came out, and like I said, the the gaslighting of the Twitter gutter snipe uh, was, oh, this isn't happening. There's nothing to be worried about. You're fear mongering. And then in the weeks following, there was that Huntsville questionnaire that was asking about. Uh, the parents' political persuasions, as well as the child's uh, 
preferred pronouns and all sorts of other yeah. gender nonsense. And on that, so, I mean, that's the thing. The gaslighting is just too much. Like, the gaslighting makes me want to smash my face through, like, broken glass and just roll it around <laughs> until I pass out from blood loss, right? Like, it's just, it's 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 egregious. It's crazy. Um, it's it's nuts. And so, Wayne Reynolds, I think, is kind of <clears throat> the forefront of the, the education gaslighting in the state of Alabama. Well, that's not going on. Allison Sinclair at, at local Alabama, they're just making stuff up. You need to show us the evidence. You need to show us the proof that this stuff's going on. And then they're just like lobbing proof upon proof upon evidence upon evidence. It's like, no, well, that's not really real. I mean, it's like, I can't, that's not really evidence. And it's like, and then that Huntsville questionnaire, the stuff that you're showing, it's like, hey, man, you can't just label concerned parents radical right wing psychopaths when all they're, they're just like, hey, man. Yeah. I, my kid's getting a questionnaire that's asking him what his freaking pronouns are or what, you know, whatever it was um, or what political leanings they have, or we can even dive into it. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's nonsense. And, 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 you know, we're being gaslit in the sense that, you know, the, the, the officials that should be taking responsibility of this stuff and, you know, kind of sniffing it out and putting it away and putting it to bed instead of um, them doing that, they just say everyone who's concerned, mm -hmm. Is a, is is a far right wing, you know, psychopath. Yeah, and it, and it really is like it. It was annoying for a week. Yeah, and then at a certain point, when you realize how completely dishonest and disingenuous uh, a large number of these people are, it, it sort of just becomes laughable at a yeah. certain point, where you're just like, okay, cool story, yeah. gotcha. And that's their whole thing for us is like, oh, you, you know, eighteen nineteen news is a far right outlet, far right. They're far right, far right, far right. And all it is is these super like centrist center left bureaucrats that are, you know, unelected mm -hmm. bureaucrats in, in Montgomery that are essentially Democrats in a, in a ruby red state. And basically they hate the values that the people of Alabama have, right? And the values, you know, they want uh, people that take less money out of their paycheck. They don't want sexual perversion foisted upon their children. They think that Children getting their genitals mutilated, you know, without parent and you know, yeah. I think just period parent involvement or not, right, is is wrong. Uh, they believe in the traditional family. They believe in hard work. They believe in 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 the things that have made our country what it is. That is the overall held position by like seventy plus percent of Alabamians. And then these people who are running the institutions in our state would label those positions as far right. Mm -hmm. And so when a news outlet comes along and begins to report on things and ask questions and we curate content that's kind of centered around what the bulk of Alabama is, is wanting to know about and is interested in. Oh, they're far right. You know, those guys are just far right. This was a hit piece by a far right organization. They're so far right. And it's like, Oh, okay. You know, that, that's, anyway. that, that's one of the most hilarious things to me when I see responses to something that I write, yeah. uh, I get called a Trumpian or a, or a, and you're the a far right thing from a Trumpian. And I'm the first, I'm pretty darn far from, from being a conservative too. And when we start talking about prisons here in a minute, yeah. uh, that'll become uh, glaringly obvious. Uh, but but the fact is, it's like it's a self fulfilling prophecy. It's very much what they do with the the uh, the description of racist. It's yeah. like, well, you're a racist. It's like, wait, well, no, I'm not. It's like, well, yes, you do, because racism is a is a system of power in which you benefit from the privilege given to you by the white male hegemony, and therefore you are participating in a racist structure uh, de facto, and so therefore you are a racist. So they do that with the far right label whenever they say, oh, okay, you are not a fan of comprehensive sexual education. Therefore, you are a far right extremist. Yeah. You believe then, in what, what was the thing that I became a white supremacist for on the last podcast? 
Because we believe in abstinence. Yeah, abstinence, abstinence is a yeah. birth control, right? Abstinence is, is part of the 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 straight white male hegemony, mm. uh, that that hegemonic position uh, that has imposed a mm, white imposed. colonialist structure of sexuality and sex upon the general populace. So that's what abstinence Zoics. is. Zoics. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, it is, and, and that is the their their goal is to be a mouthful of unintelligible gobbledygook to the point where unless you learn a completely new vernacular, you sound uneducated when you start talking about these sub yeah. the, the subject. So, for instance, if you read, um, which I would recommend anyone do, read uh, Richard Delgado and Gene Stefanczyk's uh, book, Critical Race Theory, it's sort of an introduction. When they go in the beginning of the book and he says, what is critical race theory? It's about seven pages I think fewer on my Kindle, uh, but it doesn't actually tell you what it is. It's just a hodgepodge of descriptive words, but nothing nothing that actually tells you what it is to where you can put it in like a succinct paragraph. Yeah. And, and that is because it's just like anything else. It is meant to be intentionally inflated and confusing and filled with, with uh, tons of unintelligible language and just... And it's, Look. and it's all very vague. Very vague. It, it uses a bunch of big words to sound specific, but it's vague almost so that it can like. It's malleable. Like, malleable, exactly. Yeah. It's like, you, you know, those socket wrenches that have all the little points in them yes. that can just fit on anything. That's kind of how that is. So it, 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 it looks and sounds very specific and intelligible. But when you get right down to it and you're like, well, what about this? And you bring logic into the equation. Yeah. It then like morphs out and then like comes back and it's just. It's all there, there's nothing that exists like that anywhere else. Like yeah. like in theology, for instance, if you had such a vague definition of, say, something, let's take something important like the Trinity. If you had a a completely vague, nebulous, ethereal description of something that is so fundamental, um, people would laugh at it. Right. Rightfully so. But whenever you have something, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever sacred cow it is, whether it's race, gender. I remember there was a video clip of someone um, asking Ibram X. Kendi, uh, how would you define racism? Because racism is defined as a uh, structure of racist power or something. I'm paraphrasing there. It's like, no, you can't use a word to define a word. That's not how. That's not how language works. So racism is created intentionally vague and nebulous. It's uh, just this malleable dough of nothing to where anyone's actions or words can be interpreted within this structure because it's such a nebulous term. So going yeah. back to the far right description, if you're someone who doesn't want someone talking to you or 10, 11, 12 year old about boners and AIDS and ejaculate and whatever, uh, it's like, well, if not wanting my child to, to have those discussions with an adult uh, th that I don't really know. If that makes me far right, then far right be I. Yeah. Because that ain't finna happen. Yeah. It's just no one wants it. Like, if, no, and, and that's what happened again with this drag queen uh, that where, where it came out, the libs of TikTok video yeah. came out that said that a Huntsville teacher in his spare time was a drag queen. Another person who is now a drag queen uh, jumped in to defend this gentleman. And said he was such a kind person to me when I went to school there or something. And, you know, and he was so great. And he was very encouraging. And it's like, hey, you're not helping. Yeah. Because there's you're a word for that. You're making this worse, bro. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's a word for that. It's not brooming. It's, uh, it's not. It'll come back to me. rooming. Yeah. And we just got kicked off YouTube again. <laughs> Well, I mean, but but that's that that that's relevant because you have people 
who have been labeled as a far-right extremist for being concerned that a certain amount of these things could be taught in their school. And then one after the other, it happens. Now, you can point to this drag queen issue in Huntsville as a sort of fundamental issue with public education in general because uh, the administrator is in between a rock and a hard place right now. All right, so if you maintain the employment of this teacher who has a life outside of the classroom wherein he engages in behavior that most people would find distasteful. Uh, and if you, if you keep him, then you are going to have a tremendous amount of issues with the parents, the protests, lawsuits, who knows? And that stinks for, for the administrator. <laughs> However, if you fire this gentleman, you will then have a hellstorm that I don't even want to imagine. But but what you're hitting on, and I actually talked about this exact exact same thing uh, on Phil Williams' radio show last week. Right Side Radio? Right Side Radio, the number one show in Huntsville. Anyway, sorry. So, shameless plug solid for Phil. Conservative. Solid conservative and just plain right. I'm sorry, um, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's doing a great job. Um, but I was on his show, uh, and we, uh, we discussed this very same thing, and that exact subject came up about being between a rock and a hard place. But you know what? That's where leadership shows up. Mm -hmm. Because if, if, if this is how you're leading, you know, finger in the wind, and you're seeing whether something's going to fall on this side or fall on that side, or, well, am I going to get more pressure from here? Is, is the left going to be louder? Are these far-right people going to be louder? Are, uh, you know, and, and, and that is the way that you're making your decision is like path of least resistance. It's like, no, what is right? Do the thing that's right and then let the chips fall where they may. Because if you continue to get in these positions where you're like, I don't know, what's the path of least resistance? I mean, these people could do this, but that guy could do this. And it's just, you know, this is really hard. If that's your leadership um, kind of lens that you're looking through you're not a leader but but and but this is uh, uh, agreed completely but this is where you have an issue whenever you've melded or i'll say welded something that has moral implications and moral duties which is the education of the future generations yeah. when you've melded that with a morally onerous and ambiguous entity such as the state you now have nothing to work with because yeah. You, you have all these federal legislation and rules and state rules and, and legal loopholes that you have to travel through. So say you do the morally right thing and fire this teacher, uh, you then have a problem of, okay, am I going to get sued out of existence? Yeah. by Because it's not just going to be a teacher that's filing a lawsuit. It's going to be yeah, every – it, it is going to be the alphabet mafia through and through yeah. coming through for your head. And do you think the state BOE is going to stand by a, a, a school administrator who makes that decision? No. No, it's not going to happen. No, and then they'll gaslight us. If we say anything. <laughs> yeah, well, we got rid of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so it's just a problem. It's a problem because you have parents that are concerned about, you know, and, and it brings me so many questions. COVID did one brilliant thing. It did several brilliant things, but one of which was, I've talked to several parents who had kids in public schools. When they came home during COVID, they they told me almost ubiquitously, my kid gets their work done in two hours. What are they doing for the other six hours of the day? What like what what is so such a such an issue at school where they need eight hours to do what they can do in two hours at home? Well, they're they're being babysat. Yeah, they're being I mean, babysat. That, and then and while they're being babysat, they're being indoctrinated. Anything past like reading, writing, and arithmetic is mm -hmm. indoctrination, even if it's good, right? Like, you, you know, 
at that point, the the state is stepping into that place of you know Christian paideia or discipleship. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if that is your worldview or Roman Greco Roman, they call it pedagogy. Um, but is what it is. It's it's engaging in the development of the of the psyche, the the you know the the whole person, mm-hmm. right? And so everyone thinks it's like that myth that we got to on the last podcast that that the state can come in and just be neutral. It's like all they're teaching is reading, writing, and arithmetic. And I'm like, really? And they're getting the arithmetic thing kind of screwed up with Common Core, you know, yeah. and all this other stuff. And it's like. I mean, do they do they do anything right? Yeah, well, I mean, the the reading is probably the most blatant way in which you can see that there's just an abject failure <laughs> in this state. And then writing. So well, I, I guess mean, well, the, reading. The, the if you can't things, read, you can't write. Yeah, and, and something by the way that some reporters could uh, could figure out in the state. Anywho, yeah. Um, but the but the 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 illiteracy that exists in the state is. It's just so egregious, which is why. And again, me, when I write about school, I have no skin in this game. Yeah. Like it, 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 it matters to me only in the sense of I care about uh, future generations. I care about having a, a, a prosperous state filled with happy, successful and educated people. That yeah. is that is my goal. I love my my state. I love this state. But but you're not getting my kids. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're, you're, you're not going to have it's not going to happen. Yeah. Like I've spent, I've spent years developing a library that can be used for the education of my children. Uh, people that graduate from this state don't know who Marcel Proust was, for instance. But my kids will be reading Proust. My kids yeah. will be reading Hemingway and Woodhouse and Dunn and Herbert, all of these people. And because I, because those are important to me. On top of everything else, the the read, read writing, writing, arithmetic. arithmetic. The three R's. Read, write, and arithmetic. Um, Wait a second. I don't think that's right. <laughs> um, so reading, writing, and arithmetic. And I, and I want to go back to the fact like reading. And again, I don't. I didn't plan on talking about this on the podcast today. But so we homeschool also. Um, you know, full transparency. I have seven kids. Um, most people with seven kids homeschool or, you know, <laughs> unless they rich, they'd be going to private school with all them kids. Reading. Um, homeschooling, reading, phonics. Okay, so there's the 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 phonetical way of teaching children to read versus sight words, and they have showed the abject failure of sight words in reading. And again, people watching this are probably like, "What are you talking about?" Well, when you get into how to teach children how to read, which if you're homeschooling, you got to learn these things. It's really not that hard. You know, historically, it was always phonetics. Like, how? What is this? What sound does this matter like? This Miss Metter Lake. What sound does this letter make? What sound does this letter combine with this letter make? Okay, and then when you combine all of those letters, what sound does it make? And that's a word. And so you're phonetically sounding things out. Well, sight words has become kind of this thing where, you know, you just memorize what, you know, what the word is by looking at it. And it's these small words. Well, they've shown the just the abject failure of sight words in teaching people to read. And they still use that rather than teaching phonics and, and teaching people how to, you know, phonetically read. And then you get to the point where in um, Alabama, where you're supposed to, they they also show, you know, you graph it out trajectory wise. If the child can read by third grade, they have a pretty good chance that they're going to, you know, turn into something in their lives. And if they don't, they won't. And then, you know, we, we have the opportunity to make it to where we can hold children back, you know, from going past the third grade until that they're actually able to read. And then we and then we don't do that because we just want to ship these people through the school system. So that, that's a really weird loophole. It's, it's yeah. like, well, you know, they, they can't read to the third grade. So we'll just make the third grade last yeah. infinitely long. But it, it, what, what you're saying actually goes to something that I sort of noticed in reading more of the academic literature of 
uh, on education and how education is to be done, it's very pedagogical, like in the way that you sense, uh, said. It's been very much affected by Paulo Freire as well, but then we'll, we'll get into that. Um, when you read how modern psychology has sort of influenced how education is done, it's all of these very these very modern, postmodern concepts as, as far as education, as far as implementing in, in, into education, because the way that we did it before just wasn't wasn't working. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're just a simple pragmatist, you should realize that that's not it's not working. Like our, our, we're, we're not becoming a more educated society. We're not becoming a more literate society. And in fact, we're going, we're going backwards. Yeah. So again, for, for, for brighter minds than my own, there needs to be some acknowledgement of the fact that whatever the ideology is that has led us to pursuing these methods of education based on modern psychology, they aren't working. So we are wrong somewhere, but that, that's not going to happen. Do you think there's an intentional dumbing down? Um, you know, is there like a Mr. Burns that's up at the top of the Illuminati, you know, New World Order pyramid going like this? Like, you have to dumb down the children. No. Or is I, it something that's just kind of happening in its own right? If it is, if that person exists, they're way up there. Yeah. And they've bamboozled everyone. Yeah. So the the people that are that are implementing these failing programs, they have good intentions. But the problem is that they are the result of the academy. They are the result of their education, and if their education has led them to pursue a, a specific pedagogical method, then that's the one that they're going to pursue because that's gospel. Yeah, and, and that's when you get into all these gender ideas being introduced into school. That comes from the academy. There's no, there's no, you know, country teacher the way that we used to have who just is simply good at arithmetic, good at grammar, uh, good at all these these talents needed to teach a, 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 a small kid who just goes into a church or a school. There's no little house on the prairie situation. They're all, uh, quote, educated people who have degrees in education. And that's why you have almost a ubiquitous uh, uh, mentality or ideology throughout these people because it's, it's institutional inbreeding is what yeah. it is. And I think it's going to take something really, really bad before people realize that the systems that they've employed in our educational systems just don't work. Yeah. They just do not work. And that's why you have like all this gender nonsense, because that comes in lockstep in tandem with everything else that we're seeing a very psychologically informed uh, method of education. And it's all, informed. yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's all, it's all been very experimental based on a specific ideology that has taken over uh, university Academia. studies. Yeah. Well, and one thing I will say, I heard Amy Beth Shaver say this on their last podcast, um, and I thought it was really, really good. And, you know, it, it goes to, you know, there's some people that are so diehard homeschooling, they think that any form of, you know, formal education, even a, in a private Christian school or classically Christian academy is, is wrong. You have to do it in the home and all these other things. And I'm not going that far. I think that there are some people who are just gifted at teaching. Mm -hmm. They have a spiritual gift of teaching. Um, and what, what you see where there's bureaucratic anything, which everything is a bureaucracy these days, what you saw with the COVID scare, the COVID pandemic, COVID, whatever you want to call it, shamdemic. But <clears throat> what they did is they prevented doctors from being able to be doctors. And so doctors go to school for, you know, hundreds of years, it seems like, but, you know, at least eight years. Um, and I think that's eight years on top of the four years or whatever, but they go to school forever 
Um, doctors are known to be the best and brightest people uh, in a society. They're extremely intelligent. Um, they learn, they see, you know, they, 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 you know, experiment in a sense, they test and they look at data and they do all this stuff. And that's what they're trained to do is to be able to put their hands on patients and help the patients based off of observation and research and everything else. Um, but when COVID comes along and, and, and I think it'd been going on for longer than this, but COVID just really exposed it, that all these protocols were coming down from on high and they were tying the hands of really bright, brilliant doctors to keep them from doing what they were actually trained to do. And so if the government would just get out of, you know, the doctor patient relationship and allow a doctor to treat a patient with his expertise and knowledge and ability to research and work with other doctors to figure things out, which is what happened with Jordan Vaughn and Stuart Tankersley and and these other doctors here in Alabama that did that. And they've had, they were wildly successful in treating COVID when doctors were just doctors, but there's this huge bureaucratic pharmaceutical WHO NIH thing that exists that put down all these protocols for whatever reason, there's theories of profit and theories of this and theories of that, but whatever they tied the hands of doctors and didn't let doctors be doctors. And, and, and in doing that, um, patients were harmed. And the same thing goes, I think with teachers, I think the more the government gets involved in telling teachers how to do their job and tying teachers hands and saying, you can't teach this. You have to teach this. This is how you have to teach this, this is how you have to teach that. If, if they would just let teachers be teachers, mm-hmm. right. And especially in Alabama, you have a bunch of conservative Christian people who are in the teaching profession and you just allow them to teach. Um, I think we would have phenomenal results. Teachers know how to teach kids how to read, yeah, I but mean, they're not allowed to teach kids how to read the way that they would teach. They have to teach it the way that they're told to right? Yeah. And so if you just let teachers be teachers, the, the students would, would be off. But, but we're so far down the rabbit hole of, of, the bureaucracy and the handing down and the federal government with the strings attached to the government money that we're getting from the federal government that, that teachers are they're They're not able to do that. The and teachers so, unions don't help either. No, the, the teachers unions are, are get in the way pretty significantly as well. Uh, but, but it goes back to what you said. Like if you look in the state of Alabama with uh, you said, there's a conservative Christian teacher. And this is why I have you no know, less hope slash sympathy for you for, for these positions, uh, you are not permitted to teach in the way that you would want to. You're, you're definitely not al- allowed to teach that God created the world. Yeah. That's, that's not something that's allowed. You know, which is why, which is what's so hilarious by the way, because the sort of Frarian uh, pedagogical model is sort of molding the education to the student and in, in a very specific way with a specific purpose. However, when you have these you know, very restrictive uh, uh, confines around educators and how they're allowed to teach. You have to teach this particular curriculum. Well, you know, you're not, anyone who has kids is going to tell you, you can't teach one kid the same way that you teach another. So there has to be some flexibility there. But again, it's all very molded around a, um, a, uh, a model around modern psychology yeah. and the and the quote advancements that we've made in the past hundred years, which if you think about it, a hundred years is not that long uh, when it comes to actually developing a sustainable model of dealing with a societal issue, yeah. and and so it's yeah it, it's a problem. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> we could probably talk about education for a full hour, um, but you know, <clears throat> it, it it's an issue. Um, and to just talk about issues, I mean, 
you know, solutions, what are some potential solutions? You look at, you know, school choice, and it's really not school choice, it's parents' choice, putting parents back in the position where they're able to make decisions for their children, you know, and the pushback you always get, and, and it is a problem. Some of the pushback that the government always looks at is you have, you know, I don't know if it's 10%, 30%, 50%, I would probably guess around 25 or 30% of the population of parents that are just absolutely irresponsible parents that if you gave them money, they would go buy a car or buy crack or buy, you know, drugs or whatever, right? There's a portion of the population that if you gave them that money to send their kid to a school of their choice, they would blow that money or whatever. And so it's a, it's a small percentage, but there's no doubt that there's irresponsible parents out there. And so they govern for that 10 or 15 or 25% or whatever, right? That, and so then the, the other 80, you know, 70 or 80% that is responsible that would, would take that money and do really well with it. They get punished because there's an irresponsible few. And then, you know, because the legislature's like, we can't, we can't give parents money because they're thinking about irresponsible parents. And what they end up doing is that in their head, kind of like they broad brushstroke all parents as irresponsible. Parents don't know what they're doing. We can't give, we can't give parents money and let them choose how to educate their children. That would be madness. Well, it's like, well, well, look at the look at what's happening now. Like, if 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 this is success, if that's the standard, I, I me thinks we can outperform that. Um, so if you if if you introduce that, you know, Arizona passed some great legislation uh, around school choice. Dale Marsh in Charlotte Meadows, the legislation they they introduced in the last legislative session, the the initial legislation that they introduced was really, really good. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I mean, it certainly it certainly does make sense when you look at uh, what has worked in places where the school systems are are not awesome. Uh, something resembling school choice has been very effective, if not even school choice, just the uh, development of charter schools yeah. has been uh, has been very successful. And so <clears throat> when you look at like a place like Montgomery, Charlotte Meadows has opened up a, a charter school. It's it's not rocking it, but we'll give it some time uh, and just the, like take Montgomery as an example in general, they get over a hundred million dollars a year, if memory serves me correctly, as far as education and their education system blows. Yeah. It is terrible. Now there's discussions that you can get into about, you know, there is, uh, people always like to talk about the sort of white flight aspect yeah. of it, of people. There's a lot of private schools in Montgomery. So, so a lot of the wealthier parents move their kids to private schools. There's also bordering schools, uh, and of course, the uh, the residual effects of segregation are there as well. However, if you want to look at what would be the most successful thing for a Montgomery school system to do, it would be to implement something along the lines of a charter school or a series of charter schools uh, that have been so successful in places like Harlem. Uh, that seems to be the solution because... You know, you can talk about the management issues uh, within the administration, but the fact is, is that you have a good amount of money going to a school system that doesn't seem to do anything with it. Yeah. And if you give a school the freedom to, by the way, tell certain students to kick rocks, because yeah. that has to be an option, because you just have some kids, like, God help them, their, 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 their family situation is not great. Their situation at home is not great, and they come to school and they create mayhem. Like as unfortunate as that is, 
you have to create an environment where there are where where people can learn safely because you know you can go on YouTube for hours and just find situations in schools, even Alabama schools, where there's just been crazy fights, crazy violence, crazy disrespect. And in public school situations, it's very difficult to remove those kids from the yeah. from the classroom. So you have to create an incentive structure whereby people can be rewarded for academic excellence and punished for misbehaving. Yeah. And I don't see how that happens outside of a um, – a school choice type situation. Yeah. Uh, the reason that's not going to happen is because the education lobby in this state and in this country is extremely powerful. So yeah. I would, um, things like what we see, the questionnaires and the drag queens and stuff like that, yeah. that does increase the cry for more school choice. But I think that I don't think the legislature is there yet. And what, what, what I think is the, the the challenge is that you know i think polling shows 78% of alabamians black white republican democrat you know what left right what however you break it down 78% of alabamians want want parent choice school choice um significant parent choice school choice and so when you have that many people in alabama that want that and then the legislature not doing it you obviously see that there must be a special interest that's involved in this and it's obviously the teachers union uh the teachers lobby the aea and so I think one thing that I, I wish teachers could see is that it, it, when you have a racket, right? So a racket is 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 a, is a profitable op operation where people are pulling strings and kind of deceiving in order to make a buck, right? Mm -hmm. And there's free flowing money flowing into education because everyone knows the importance of education. There is free flowing money. At least there's the appearance of free-flowing money to teachers, but ask any teacher if there's any free-flowing money to them, and they will tell you there is certainly not. Um, there's free-flowing money um, towards that because everyone knows the importance of teachers, and everyone knows that um, teachers should be compensated for the work that they're doing, especially in some of the conditions that they find themselves in Alabama. But either way, the, so so there's an overall understanding that teachers should be paid more um, and so what, what, what I believe my observation is the the racket, and I'll kind of give you the playbook of the racket is that teachers are frustrated that they aren't getting paid enough. The conditions of the classroom are terrible. They have to buy pencils and, and markers and school supplies out of their own pocket. And this is all true. It's all true. And so they go to the AEA and say, Hey, we're not getting enough money. And so the AEA is like, okay. And the AEA goes, you know, with the millions of dollars it's giving to, to Republicans and just the influence it has over the legislature and says, we need more money in education. And so the legislature passes a budget that has, you know, another record amount of educational spending increase. And then it goes into there and then it gets caught up in that bureaucratic redundancy and it goes to superintendents and all this other stuff that isn't teachers. And then a little bit of money trickles down to the teachers, but not enough to be significant. It doesn't make it to the classroom. There's still no pencils. There's still none of the things that are needed. And so the teachers are still frustrated, as they should be. And so they go to the union. The union says, hey, my teachers need more money. They go, you know, The legislature says, okay, record more money. The money comes back in, and then those superintendents and everybody gobble up the money. The money doesn't make it to the teachers, and then they complain, and it's this it's like the rain cycle that you learn in school, you know what I mean, of precipitation. Yeah. And so the teachers are the pawns in this scheme that allow all these other people to sit back and get fat and rich and keep that free-flowing money flowing into education. And if the moment that the teachers were satisfied, 
and stopped complaining, that money wouldn't continue to get pumped into that bureaucratic redundancy. So they need frustrated teachers. They need wanting teachers. And so their goal is not to satisfy the teachers. And that's the thing is teachers feel like they're being protected. Teachers feel like they have a voice, but they're not. They're a pawn in a racket that keeps money pumping into a bureaucratic redundancy. Yeah, I mean, and and bureaucratic redundancy is the exact right term. Uh, you have, when you have a, a school system that gets millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars and still seems to be struggling, that that is an indication of mismanagement somewhere. So your football field looks remarkably well manicured for someone who can't afford to pay your dang teachers. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, all, all of this stuff seems to be, oh, really? They, they, I, I know how much. Do you know how much football helmets cost? A lot. Yeah. You know how much pads cost? A lot. You know how much cost, uh, how much all, all of this equipment costs that you see, whether it's music or, or whatever programs that they have. It's like, okay. I, I get that you think that athletics are important. I un, I understand that. However, you, you can't afford to pay teachers that care. You can't seem to afford to pay teachers that are willing to put forth an effort. Yeah. Uh, because I, I've met some of these people, and not not all of these these educators are 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 saintly who would yeah. sooner be consumed at the stake than just show up and give you know forty percent effort for a paycheck. Those those people exist. But if you have these issues where where whatever money you're spending on does not seem to be making it to the the to the student, it's not making it. It's not money here, successful student right here. There's an interruption in that supply chain. Where is it exactly? Yeah. So, because the money's going somewhere. It's going to pay for these grandiose buildings, these these programs, these uh, after school programs, the buses, the sports, the music, whatever. It's going somewhere. And I think what we need to, it, and you'd have more of an outcry if it didn't reach the football field. Yeah. We would have outcry at That's that really point. That's a really good point. But it's not reaching the kids' education. And the only people that seem to give a crap are the parents whose kids can't freaking read. Yeah. So this is a problem. It, it makes me, it, it really does make me very angry because, like you said, it is not an overly challenging or laborious task to teach a kid how to read. Yeah. And we can't do it in this state. We yeah. spend billions on education and we cannot get our kids to read. Yeah. So whatever you want to pin that on, the, the, the problem is it is mismanaged funds. Yeah. It is mismanaged. So where that is, we can have a discussion. But if, if you want to get into this discussion of, of, uh, I oh, never mind. I'll, I'll I'll abandon that thought. But the 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 fact is that we have issues with our kids not being able to do basic math. We have issues with our kids not being able to read. And if you can't while read, you can't write. Yeah, if you so can't those read, you're three. Yeah, exactly. So while and, and and then what parents do is they turn around and they see these educators that are wanting to talk about pronouns and gender identity and, and, and whatever. And they're Drag like, okay, story Hey man, these kids can't read. Yeah. Why are you focusing on, on this? Cause by the way, if you take a kid who can't read and try to talk to him about gender identity, that's going to confuse him, him, her even more. Yeah. So on where you have on the right, you have almost a complete comfort with, with the worst performance in the state. You seem, you seem, they seem to be comfortable with that. Yeah. And then on the left, you have solutions that don't even come close to addressing the problem. Yeah. 
So it, it, it's frustrating no matter where you look. But but the fact is, hey, we're making kids that can't read. That's yeah. a problem. Yeah, And it just baffles me. I'm just picturing myself as a legislator in Montgomery and I'm looking at this problem and then I'm just taking money from the AEA and then not doing anything about it. How do you sleep? I I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how you're not seeing. OK, you know what? <laughs> At a certain point, I don't know if you've ever tried to use an Etch-A-Sketch before. I'm not artistically minded at all. Not at all. Closer to autistic. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And so I'll be sitting there trying to create something. Oh, screwed up. Oh, screwed up more. Screwed up. At a certain point, you just have to pick up the thing and shake it. That's just good. shake. When is someone going to be like, okay, you know what? Everyone in the position of authority in Alabama schools, you all have bungled this beyond it being a functional system. We're losing to Mississippi. Yeah. That used to that that's always been our fallback. It's like, man, those dummies in Mississippi. Like they're they're outperforming us in yeah. education. Yeah. Not by much, but as is still Puerto doing. Rico. As is Puerto Rico. Yeah. God help us. <laughs> um and so Well, we gotta yeah, yeah, we, we gotta, gotta move, move on. I wanna ask you one more question uh-huh. because it's it's the it's the hardcore conservative pushback mm-hmm. to school choice. Well, that means that, you know, these schools are going to start taking government money and then the government money is gonna corrupt homeschool and the government money is gonna corrupt private school. Okay. Um, then don't do that. Yeah. If the point comes where the money comes with a caveat, don't take the money. Just say no. It's like, it's like me. It's like, I'm perfectly capable of educating, excuse me, of educating my children with just what I've amassed for my own education. Like I, and then, you know, you buy a couple of textbooks, bada bing, bada boom. It's not a big deal. Take 20 bucks, take 20 bucks and go to a thrift store, rifle through the books, Pick out 20. If you go to Goodwill, it's one book for a dollar. You have yeah. 20 books that you can then use to educate your child. And it'll do more than read. F- exactly. But it'll do more than four years in a in a Alabama high school. $20 yeah. at a thrift store will do more than $20,000 at an Alabama public school. That yeah. much I guarantee you. Yeah. No, so I just have... don't take the money if it comes with a caveat. Yeah. It's that simple. I wish, and I, I just, I wish, because I remember how nervous I was when I decided to homeschool. I remember how nervous my wife was. Are we going to be able to do this? And I talked to other people who started homeschooling and how nervous they were. And once you get into it and you're like, wait a second. And then you, and then you still wonder like, are my kids to grade level? Are my kids? Well, so we didn't really know. And I'm looking at my wife teaching, you know, and I'm like, ah, are we doing this right? And then you put them in, in any grade level testing and they're like far exceeding any grade level testing. And you're like, what in the world? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not that hard. Well, you know, we have to work two jobs and, you know, you know, basically my, my, I, I work and my wife works or, you know, I hear all these things. It's like, man, and you know, you know, the story, you were there with me when, when we decided to, uh, homeschool, my, my <coughs> wife was making more money than me. And when she decided to come home and be a stay at home mom, she was making more money than me and we was not making that much money. Right. But we made the decision to do that because it's not that we can't afford to keep our children out of that situation and system or that we can't afford to do what we believe God wants to do as far as Christina staying home with the children and those things. I don't think I could afford not to do it was my perspective. It's like the long-term, you know, uh, effects of not stepping up to the plate and taking responsibility for the, the education and discipleship of my children. That is a cost that I cannot afford to pay because that's lifelong. Right. And so a little bit of sacrifice now. Again, you know, we have all kinds of people that listen to this podcast, you know, from poor to rich, but a lot of the pushback I hear is is from wealthy people. They're like, well, I mean, I have to sell my boat, my lake house. 
Wham. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like are you I'm willing. To, I'm willing to hear the plight of people that don't make a lot of money. Yeah. If you make a lot of money and you want to start whinging to me about the, you can because I'm sitting because <laughs> I'm sitting Moving here on. eating ramen uh, ramen burritos, <laughs> and and I want to hear you tell me about. Oh, I had Speaking to sell my of ramen second Mercedes. Burritos, prisons. That's our how are the subject. ramen burritos uh, in prison, they, Brian? They, they weren't too shabby. Um, Take the flaming hot Cheetos, bang them up right. with the ramen. That is correct. That's how you do it. All right. Well, I have a feeling this podcast is going to be our uh, <clears throat> most trouble we've gotten in. So, um, and on that note, if you guys are going to YouTube to watch this, now would be a good time to start going to Spotify and Apple Podcasts or Rumble to get the podcast because YouTube is just going to continually kick us off and continually. And it's like, you know, I'm certainly not going to tailor my content to not get kicked off of YouTube because then we're not doing what we said we would do for you guys. And so if you can, you know, change your habits in listening to go to, uh, if you've got an, uh, an iPhone, go to Apple Podcasts. If you've got an Android, go to Spotify. You can get the video there. It's 1819 News, the podcast video. And so you can get the video just like you would on YouTube on the podcasting app. So go there. Um, you know, I'm just, it, it's like every week, you know, and, and then they came back and, and canceled our D-Nodal podcast that we did all the way back in the primaries and like sent us an email and I didn't even see it. And it's like they canceled that. It's like eight months ago. I know. That's what I'm saying. And they just randomly canceled that. They canceled um, our Greg Phillips podcast when there was a cease and desist put on him over the stuff with Eugene Yu. Uh, Alabama Unfiltered has had like four or five podcasts canceled. And it's just we're, we're, we're not going to cater to them. And so it's be good for our audience to realize that that is not the best place to go. Um, you know, start going to Rumble, start going to um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify uh, to get the podcast. So moving on. Um, prisons. Uh, I, uh, I I like to fancy myself a specialist in this area. How so, Brian? Well, it's just a lot of experience. <laughs> you see. So what I don't have is experience in the prisons in Alabama. I have experience in the prisons in Colorado. And my overall um, thought as I look at the prison situation in Alabama is they need to go to Colorado and figure out how to do prison. And so I think one of the biggest things that I think is a problem in Alabama versus well the the Colorado. <clears throat> Their prisons are extremely buttoned up as much as you can button a prison up. Um, they have tremendous um, education, vocational reentry training programs. They take very seriously that whole corrections part of the Department of <laughs> Department of Corrections. Right. And so um, ample opportunity to better yourself, ample opportunity to turn your life around. You know, fairly safe environment for a prison. Again, this is all relative. <laughs> like how yeah. safe is it? Well, it's prison. But, you know, you know, they, they actually have beds for their inmates, you know, uh, so so they, they have a lot of things figured out. But the problem is in order to get pardoned uh, from Colorado, you have to wait 10 years after you're off parole. And, and, you know, God has to come down in the form of a burning bush and tell the governor to pardon you. And so you're basically stuck as a felon your whole life in Colorado. Alabama, if you survive prison and you get out and you do well, they've got a whole department of pardon and paroles. Right. And, and they actually give out pardons because. They believe that people, you know, should should be able to get back to being normal citizens again. And so Colorado has it, the during prison thing figured out. Um, you know, I'm sure the recidivism rates are, are a lot different in Colorado than they are here. Um, you see a lot of, you know, people that I was in prison with that went on to lead successful lives after they got out, made good decisions, are doing well, raising families. Like, you know, again, it's not it's not an overwhelming amount. You know, it's not just like a huge number, but there's there's a whole lot more than 
than you see in Alabama. And it's because people use their prison time to turn their lives around and, and take advantage of the opportunities that are given to them to, to learn a vocational skill, to learn, um, to, to get a college education, to get, you know, a GED, to, to, to learn to read, to whatever. Um, and I don't see those same opportunities being provided in the prisons in Alabama. No, not at all. There's, um, there, there, the, the, the problem it seems to me the difference between, like you said, Colorado and Alabama. One is the internal politics yeah. aren't there in the state of Alabama. As as bad as that can seem to a lot of people, I, I, I'm, I'm trusting that you would agree that the internal politics keep the machine going a little bit more smoothly than having complete anarchy, uh, anarchy within. Uh, but there's also... The drugs are always an issue in prisons, but it seems to me that Alabama has one of the more uh, rampant issues with drugs. It's crazy. So <clears throat> the idea of someone having a cell phone in prison in Colorado, like that wasn't a thing, yeah. right? And it, it may be now, I don't know. Um, but, you know, that like that, that wasn't, you know, like n- people didn't have cell phones. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there you would, you would see some drugs on the yard or whatever. It was, it was very minimal, um, you know, and then it's like, it's like every day on you, you know, on Facebook, there's someone with a Facebook account sitting in prison, you know, like live streaming, you know, somebody getting beat up on top of a the guard yeah. shack or whatever it was. And it's just like, this is, this is crazy. Everyone has a phone. And, and yeah. see, I, one, one of my old homies, he actually went inside and he, uh, he, he was in there for a nonviolent crime. Uh, I'm not going to say his name or the crime, uh, but he, he described to me the process by which he would bring cell phones into the uh, into the prison. So he was, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Work low, release. low, yeah, work release. But he actually got to drive the van and he would yeah. go and do X, Y, and Z. And so he would leave prison with the bag. He would he would be there. He would leave with the bag, have a couple grand, hit up a couple gas stations, just pick up those burner phones, and then he would just bring them in. And and of course the the guards have cash app too, so they get their whatever. Yeah, uh, not checking whatever he has, uh, and so they're just going in there freely. And of course, once you have the phone, you just reload it. If you have a credit card, you can reload the minutes on the phone. Yeah. You can do whatever. So there's you'll, there's there's people live streaming on Facebook from Alabama prisons, just just lighting up. They'll have a wick. They'll have one of those little twisted yeah. up uh, toilet paper rolls, and just sitting there just smoking up in the middle of and, and meanwhile they turn over to the guard shack and homeboys in there just asleep it's just chaos in yeah. there and and that's something that also needs to be talked about is that the quality of our prison guards is going to be directly it's going to directly correlate to the quality of our prisons themselves so if you have a completely dilapidated falling apart gross facility because when you look at the videos it looks like it it looks like a third world country like a dungeon. It, exactly. A yeah. <laughs> it looks like a dungeon. So these are, these guards are people that are locked in there all day too. So you have to wonder what kind of an effect that has on them and what kind of quality of person that is attracting yeah. whenever they're wanting to come in and work in uh, what looks like a, a prison in Fallujah instead yeah. of, instead of Alabama. Yeah. So it's the and violence that, too. And then well. you, it gets back to, you know, compensation for prison guards. So it's interesting. We're talking about compensation for teachers and compensation for prison guards. Yeah. And there's a correlation between the problems we have in education and, and then our prisons being as full as they are. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, people, people would expect me to be like kind of a bleeding heart liberal uh, because I've been to prison and mm-hmm. I've been through all that stuff. And I'm the furthest thing from. And so very much like you, I have critiques with the way that the right approaches this. And I have critiques with the way that the left is approaching this. 
you know, the left is basically free everybody. There shouldn't be prisons. These people need to be out. And then they get out and like 50 people get raped and murdered. And it's like, well, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Right. And so there are bad people in prison that deserve to be in prison and they should never get out. And there's people in prison that deserve to be killed for what they've done. Um, those are all real things. While at the same exact time, this is like nuancing is seems to be always the issue in, in conversation. While there is um, murderers and rapists that, that deserve the death penalty and other people who have just proven that they're never going to change their lives that are going to be in prison for the rest of their lives. And that is okay. At the exact same time, there's people who just had a hard life and a hard upbringing who have made a bunch of poor mistakes. And if you give those people an opportunity to earn a vocational skill set, because I'm just telling you, that was that was the separator, the, the great separator for me. Like, man, I didn't know how to write a check. I didn't know how to balance a checkbook. I didn't, you know, I, I mean, there was just these basic skill sets that I just, I didn't, I didn't know how to do anything. And, and as a man, when you are a provider, and you know that you're about to enter into the workforce and the workforce in a capitalist society is where you're paid what you're worth and you have zero self-worth, you are always going to go back to the, like a dog returning to his vomit, right? Mm -hmm. You don't feel like you have that worth. But when you begin to have competencies as a man and you realize that you can actually provide and you can provide for a family, that's the way men are hardwired. Mm -hmm. And so you teach um, a punk kid how to work with his hands and build or how to earn a paycheck to where he can actually get married and provide for children, he's going to have a level of confidence that he never had before. And then there's programs, you know, one of the coolest things I've ever seen, um, there's this place called Wayfield Electric in, in, in Denver, Colorado. And so all the contracting companies in Colorado were hiring illegal, you know, illegal Mexicans, illegal aliens, whatever, um, to, to do electrical work. And this company was like, we don't want to do that. We think that that's wrong. How can we compete, though, because there's, you know, zero workforce, like there's no one to hire, there's no one to train. And someone said, well, you know, my brother just got out of prison. Uh, he's actually, you know, he would be a great candidate. And they're like, wow, that's a completely untapped resource. And so they they, they vetted it. They didn't just like anybody with a felony come get a job. But they, they vetted through Pier 1, which is a program I was in. They found, you know, um, capable people that they thought would be worth investing in. And they trained them and they paid for them to go to school on Tuesday and Thursday nights to get their journeyman. Right. And then, and now you take a guy who would have been flipping burgers because of his felonies and you've, you've taught him how to be an electrician. He's now got a journeyman. He's making 80 to a hundred thousand dollars a year. He just bought a house. He's a completely different individual now. Right. And that's something that happens on the inside of a man when he's able to do those things that he will never go back to that life. Um, I, I think that's so. I think that's a, something with the history that you and I have both had that yeah. that we have a a perspective of people that's very much different than the conservatives. It's not it's not completely unrealistic like the, yeah. like some of the liberals, but the conservatives uh, where we know people uh, we know people that have robbed probably like five or six drugstores that we would let watch our kid. Yeah, like that. It's like that we realize, man, this guy like in here he's he's solid. He's just had a god awful awful life. And so that's where the the sort of conservative response to people that that need to be rehabilitated, that, yeah. that people that need to be taught, they need to they need to learn in ways that they never learned at home. You that doesn't happen whenever you throw them into the most uncomfortable, violent and uh confrontational environment that you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Cuz you know like you're completely reformed 
You're out, you've been out of prison for how long now? I don't even know, 15 years. Yeah, maybe. 15 years. If you went back inside today, a switch would get would have to get flipped that that doesn't need to be out here for everyone else. It's like that that ten anxiety. Years. I have to ten years. It. Ten years. I ten think years. I got out in 2012, and it's 2022. So yeah. But but either way, like so, you have these people that what what they need is someone to show them because I've seen it myself. I've seen lost causes that once they get introduced into hard work and dedication and commitment, where they rise to the occasion, they learn something and they just take off with it. You know yeah. how many ex cons you know that are just killing the game? Yeah, and I mean again, and it's like overwhelmingly, you know, again, yeah, no, there's a, there's a whole bunch that don't. Yeah. But but there are some that do, and how much better is our society if we have all this money going to these institutions, these prisons, that you don't figure out some kind of a system that identifies the people who are not lifers. I call them life on the installment plan. They get out, go back, get out, go back, get out, go back. So you have lifers who are never going to get out. You have people who are they're just dedicated to that way of life, and they're never going to change, and they communicate that they don't ever want to change. But you have a way of, of picking out, okay, that kid's got a shot. That guy's got a shot. Hey, you know, and, and it's not just young guys. I've, I've seen guys that were 45 and they turned a new leaf. So figuring out how to identify the people who actually have a chance at making it, you know, and pull them out of that just ridiculously violent confrontational situation and put them in a position where they're able to, you know, um, become educated and, 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 and learn how to provide some type of a vocational skill that allows them to earn a living and you teach them basic life skills. I mean, I'm talking everything from how to wash your feet to how to do your taxes, right? They need to be taught everything because they weren't taught. But this this is where the sort of inherent statism of conservatives that makes me want to jump in front of a bus because what has happened here is when someone commits a crime. Now, now in my political persuasion, there's there's two responses to crime. There's execution and restitution. Yeah. Like prisons, for the most part, like the large scale prisons that we have seem to be to, to have been a mistake. Um, however, what we've turned around from the, the concept of restitution, which means that a person is the victim of the crime. We have now turned it to where the state is the victim of the crime. So if you look at any arrest warrant, it'll say so-and-so yeah, did X, Y, and Z yeah. against this, the, the peace and dignity of the state of Alabama. Yeah. So then the state is the aggrieved party. The state prosecutes. The state imprisons. And the person imprisons, pr imprisoned turns around and provides goods and services for whom? The state. Yeah. So instead, and so because of that, conservatives have this idea of like, we drive past prisons pretty regularly, but they're over there. They're yeah. an over there problem. It's like, no, those are your fellow countrymen. Those are yeah. your fellow statesmen. Those are people to whom you have a bit of a responsibility towards. Yeah. So like you said, with this electrical company, say, like, yeah. hey, we have a problem and a solution. And, and those things can exist. They, they can exist in a society that wants to have a discussion about these types of things. Because I know... There, again, I know so many people who they get out, they get out of prison, they get out of jail even after having made a mistake and they get introduced to a trade to a, like, okay, I apply my hands to something. I learn a skill. I employ that skill. And then in a week I get a paycheck. That's a great deal. So if you grew up on, if you grew up on the street where the, I mean, you're doing, you're doing the banging thing, whether you're selling or, or, or whatever, you're just robbing, whatever. Uh, that's a very anxious life, as you can attest to. Yeah, it's it, there's a lot of anxiety there. When you take men who were created to work, 
for the most part, I've found that they, even if they don't live a completely virtuous life, they're not going to be a detriment to society. But the, but they will become a detriment to society when you place them into a environment where violence is the modus operandi. It yep. is it is you have it's something you have to do. And then of course, you bring in drugs, you bring in the corruption, you bring in the the the, the janky politics. It's all just something because it, it, it's it's a problem because the right seems content to throw them into these buildings. And just to leave them there, just okay. We don't want to deal with them. Then when when they get out, then they get rearrested and go back in. Like we just want to kind of forget about them. We want to forget yeah. that they're there. The left wants to have unrealistic utopian concepts of how it needs to be dealt with. And I think the actual solution lies somewhere in the middle, where you realize, hey, the the the, the these people are wards of the state. They're providing goods and services for the state. The state has an incentive to keep these people here, as do the people that own these prisons. They have an incentive for keeping them there. What do we need to do as a society where we address the fundamental issues and how do we create a system wherein these people don't have a scarlet letter for the rest of their life? They actually become valuable members of society. And because, because again, whether you like, well, that sounds like slave labor, for instance. Well, you know, maybe you, you take these people and force them to work to, to pay for the restitution. Well, that's what we have in in prisons already. When these people go on work releases for thirty cents an hour, like, what is that if not if if not slave labor? Yeah. But if you're having someone go and employ their hands in a trade, like whether it's a, being an electrician or, or get a, getting their CDL or or getting our plumbing certification, which that's pretty freaking hard, but but something like that. There are solutions to this other than just putting thousands of our countrymen in a cage, yeah. a lot of times for victimless crimes, but putting them in a cage and just forgetting about them until it's time for them to be reintroduced to society and they have no idea what to do. Yeah. And not only do they have no idea what to do, their mind's back <laughs> and they're like, I have to you know, I'm redlined. I'm I'm constantly looking around. I can't relax. I can't have yeah. any sort of enjoyment. It's it, it's a penitentiary. It's yeah. supposed to make someone penitent, and you don't get penitent by by being thrust into a extremely violent and confrontational uh, system. It just it, it it can't happen. You're expecting to make orange juice out of potatoes. It yeah. just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. And I think the one area where I differ with you is that there's always going to be a huge swath of people who don't want to be rehabilitated that have no care or concern. That's not what they want that maybe didn't murder someone. So execution isn't the answer. And so it's like, what, what do you do with that person? Right. And so, but either way, um, just like education, what we're doing isn't working. We need to innovate. And by the way, by the way, the similarities between the Department of Education and the Department of Corrections eerily. are eerily similar. <laughs> and the two are very connected. Um, and I mean, there's, you know, Schools in Montgomery you could go into that look a lot like the prisons in Alabama. And and you drive past them, you're like, is that is that building open? Dilapidated? Are they gonna? Oh, oh, kids are going. Oh, uh, there's a there's okay, cool. Yeah, it's like the windows are barred and yeah. they have like multicolored paper over it. It looks weird. Yeah, I mean, gosh, dude, they so get pressure. You like about. you, you get hundreds of millions of dollars. You can't afford a pressure washer for <laughs> God's sake. Oh man, well, if that didn't get us in trouble. Abortion will no, and again, I don't want to hit this from us, you know, from an abortion standpoint of us, you know, morally, you know, uh, coming after 
trying to enforce, you know, someone's personal position on anything else. Today, I just want to talk about, you know, what is the future of abortion in Alabama? What are your predictions as far as this legislative session? You know, not is it right, not is it wrong, but just what do you think is going to happen in this legislative session? Um, and I'll I'll tee it up. You know, I, I wrote a, an opinion piece that um, stirred the pot a little bit back in May um, on this. You know, the, when, when there was rumors of Roe versus Wade being overturned, immediately Terry Collins was like, oh, we need to, you know, we need to, you know, put more exceptions in there and all this other stuff. And so the the frustration is, to, to me, all these people that just ran in the last election cycle in the primaries, they they out, they out you know, conservative each other with, I'm the most pro-life and I, I passed the most pro-life legislation in the country and we helped to craft the most pro-life legislation. Governor Ivey's like, I signed the most pro-life legislation. I'm so pro-life, pro-life, pro-life. Well, it was it was the most pro-life piece of legislation when it was under the umbrella of Roe versus Wade, and they knew that they were never going to have to enforce it, or so they thought, right? And I didn't think they were either. Um, so they passed this super strict abortion law that I believe is a good law. Um, they passed this piece of legislation, and it is it is a very good piece of legislation. Well, they did it to score political points, knowing that they were never going to have to enforce it because Roe v. Wade was never going to get overturned. They all campaigned on the pro-life legislation they passed and everything else. Well, lo and behold, Roe versus Wade gets overturned, and all of a sudden they're like, okay, now you have to enforce this. And you want to talk about rock and hard place, right? Is do you do you do you really believe what you say you believe? Do you really believe what you said in those political ads that you ran? Do you really think this is good legislation? Terry Collins has obviously come out and said, you know, she thinks there needs to be other exceptions, obviously rape and incest and everything else. What what do you see? You know, because I was talking to Matt Clark. Uh, he is the the founder and and president of Alabama Center for Law and Liberty. Another great guy. Awesome. You look at yeah, and so he said it would be political suicide for them to go back and change the law. To which I said they commit political suicide every day, right? Every <laughs> like, day, every day. <laughs> so these people are not above doing super stupid things that should keep them out of office that never keep them out of office that they continue to do. Um, so, so what are your thoughts? What do you think's coming this next legislative session? Uh, the, the word I've gotten from, and, and, and it is, believe it or not, the, the caucus, the, the GOP caucus is divided on whether or not there will be a divided GOP caucus this next yeah, session. That. Uh, so what I've heard is, and that, that word exactly a divided caucus, those two words I should say, um, is coming. So. And, and, and I, I believe that while some, like, I, for instance, I talked to Larry Stutz, Senator Larry mm -hmm. Stutz yesterday, and uh, he said, I, I don't see any reason. I don't see any any walking it back. I don't see any changes. I don't see any whatever. Uh, I respectfully uh, disagree. I, I have a feeling that the caucus is going to be divided. There is going to be leg there's going to be some gratuitous legislation introduced by the Democrats. It's going to be to strike down the ban. That's going to go nowhere. They're not going to give them anything, but, uh, well, I, I take that back. They're not going to give them that. What I think they'll do in the spirit of political compromise, which is the, uh, the course of the day in Montgomery, it, I, I think there is going to be something introduced. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be by Collins herself or if it's going to be from someone else, but it's going to be something to add, uh, a, uh, exception for rape and, and incest and maybe one or two other, you know, nuancing, yeah. but that's the main thing. And it's going to come out to be uh, specifically 
as a way to compromise to throw a bone to the Democrats. And I, whether or not that passes, it's not I have even no a idea. Bone to the Democrats, it's a bone to these freaking cowardly Republicans. I mean, my gosh, but that's another. Well, and, you know, and again, and, and one thing I want to cover here, and again, this isn't trying to articulate position. This isn't abolition versus pro life. This isn't you know whatever. Let me just communicate the 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 challenge when you introduce an exception, and so. You have people who think they're like, well, I mean, there should be exceptions. Imagine this, you know, and it's always a imagine an eight year old girl that got raped by her uncle that gets pregnant. And, every, and it's like, I mean, how often does that really happen? And, you know, and how often is that the reason for abortions? And we know when you look at the abortion statistics, it's like 85 percent just normal birth control. People don't want the kids, so they kill it. Oh, way more than. 85. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's ridiculous. So but but back to the point that I'm I, I want to make here is that um when you say there's an exception for rape and incest, what that means is the abortion industry is going to build an industry around rape and incest. How do you prove that it was rape? How do you prove that it was incest? Does that mean that there needs to be a police report filed in order to go get the abortion? There's no way they're going to make people go through that, right? And so what you're going to see is everybody that wants an abortion was raped or incested. I, I turned incest into a verb there. I see that. But, you know, or, or for the life of the mother, which it is right now, I don't, I'm not sure how buttoned up that is because... Well, I mean, pregnancy is a condition that can kill the mother at any point in time. And so if you're saying, well, the life of the mother is at risk. Well, yeah. I mean, my wife has had a bunch of children and each and every time it puts her at risk of something bad happening to her. Yeah. So, Alabama's is pretty buttoned up as far yeah. as the, 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 the safety of the mother. Yeah. It's not just health, like health of the mother. Health is an ambiguous term that can go anywhere yeah. from mental, your, your mental faculties to, you know, physical uh, aberrations. Uh, the, the, the problem, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that it's what it is. It's a situation wherein the narrative has been allowed to maintain, to be maintained in one area. So the, the Republicans, they're not, they're not charging or controlling the narrative. They're following along and trying to address the narrative of the, uh, of, of the Democrats. So whenever the Democrats say, well, we need a exception for rape and incest, the right isn't saying, isn't challenging them on that presupposition. Well, well, why do we? Why do we need to, uh, to have that? By by what logical inference is that necessary? It's more along the lines of, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Because they they fall victim to, uh, to playing to the loop of the the the, the rhetoric of the left where they play the emotional game. They pull on the heartstrings. Like you said, like yeah. imagine an 11 year old girl was raped by her father. Are you saying she needs to keep that child? It's like, well, no, I'm saying she can't kill the child. There's yeah. like, I'm, I'm saying that you, we don't execute the victims of crimes. That's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. So, so instead of charging that narrative home, they're trying, they're following behind and trying to, uh, to concede, to find the middle ground, which, like I said, is yeah, and it's gonna be it's gonna game. be interesting. There's so many different points. There's so many different perspectives on this. Um, I'm not trying to come out and say it's this or it's that or whatever, and and play what what I want to point out is the fact that everyone campaigned on having the most pro life legislation, and these same people that campaigned on it are about to go turn it around and 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 back it up to where it's not the most right. Yeah, and so, gonna, oh, go ahead. That that to me is the the frustrating part. You know. There, there's people who are pushing, you know, I'm sure that there's, you know, big organizations, we'll call them companies in the state that are dedicated to workforce development that are going to say, well, we're not going to be able to get people, you know, corporations and companies aren't going to move their companies here because of our strict abortion laws. And it's like, 
no, they're not going to move here because our taxes are like that of the state of Maine and our education is the worst in the country, but we don't want to do anything about that. Right. And so we'll say, well, you know, people, people won't move their companies here if we have these strict abortion laws. So the legislatures, they're going to have that pressure. They're going to have the pressure coming from the left. And then, you know, um, who knows? So I, I, I don't foresee us having the same law this time next year that we have now. Yeah, nor do I. I'm, I'm pessimistic right there with you because it's going to be super easy to wrap any sort of compromise in this cloak of compassion. Yeah. It's going to be like, well, well, because when the right starts singing the tune of the left of like, what happens when an 11 year old is raped by her right. father? Uh, they are going to paint themselves and be seen as the compassionate ones. Yeah. As the ones who are, see, we can compromise. We're rational. Yeah. Like, if you think that's going to assuage the the cries of the Democratic Party, you are so severely mistaken. And I don't even think they're that stupid because <laughs> Biden himself has, you know, carrot meat stick, has promised, hey, by the way, if you keep us Democrats in office next year, we'll federally protect abortion. Yeah, It's like, I, I, I wish there was, you know, a session that happened recently where you could have done that yourself. But no, it's... It's this cat. It's this this tit and tat game that they're playing of, of where where the right is saying we're going to protect vote for us because we're going to protect abortion rights, and then uh, and then the left is like vote for us because we're going to take back abortion rights, and meanwhile right after we have a, a an election we have a session where abortion rights are going to be addressed in the state of Alabama, and if you're asking me, do I think that the that the the majority of Republicans in the House and the Senate are going to maintain uh, the position that they had when they had the protection of Roe versus Wade. No, I do not think they will. I that think they all going, campaigned on. I'll yeah, that they all people. campaigned on. It's yeah. it's I if I'm I would be happy to be proven wrong, and I'd be happy like I said, you know, Senator Larry Stutz seems pretty confident. Yeah. I am less confident. Yeah. I, our legislature could mess up a free lunch and that's putting it nicely. So with that, we're way past our time, but I wanted to squeeze in all that information. Um, so yeah, there's that, uh, as again, I really want to encourage everyone to, to switch their viewing and listening habits of this podcast over to an Apple podcast, Spotify, or rumble. Um, that's where you're going to be able to have uninterrupted, you know, direct, uh, content us to you, you to us. Uh, and then also, um, as I said before, you're missing out if you're not signed up for the newsletter, uh, and be on the watch out, uh, for the opportunity to sign up to join the 1819 club for $18 and 19 cents a month. Right. And we're going to have merch and all the other stuff going along with it. Uh, really excited to roll that out. Really excited about the, the 1819 merch and, and swag. So all that is awesome. But as always, guys, until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. <laughs>